Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletic's dedicated Everton Football Club podcast. I'm your host, Greg O'Keefe, and you'll be hearing from my co-correspondent, Paddy Boyland, in just a moment as well. On today's show... Everton ride their luck, but a great result at the Emirates. The under-18's FA Youth Cup ends at the quarter-final stage, but a promising campaign nevertheless. The 1st of May remarkably sees our first league fixture against Aston Villa. Plenty of familiar faces as we'll relive a great Villa clash from the past. Before we get going, good afternoon, Pat. I hope you're well. You having a good one? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, mate. Yeah, feels like it's been a bit of a quiet quite a week after the storm of, of last time around. So that was obviously European Super League and Marcel Brandstein and his new contract and, and everything else. Uh, but the momentum's kind of kept going on on the pitch, hasn't it? So it, it, it's nice. Uh, as an aside, I'm still in mourning for Idrissa Gay um, and his sending off last night for PSG. I don't know if you saw the tackle. I did. A- absolutely <laughs> horrific tackle from him. It was a bad one. But I'm just disappointed. Like every, everybody was there marveling at a wonderful game of football again. And all I could think of was just a, a, a Drissa Gay's sad face as he trudged off the pitch, <laughs> knowing that knowing that his Champions League dream now may well be over. I don't know. If, I don't know what went wrong with PSG. They just, I mean, City were great, weren't they? Second half, but PSG just seemed to implode. They got so rash, and that was one of there was a few, a few not as bad as that, but there were a few really petulant challenges, and it just seemed to infect the whole team and. You know, he's, you don't associate Gay with that sort of, because it could have been a really bad one. You know, I, I don't think Gundogan was was making too much of that. I think it was it was that, you know, high enough to do some damage. And it was just, uh, yeah, not what you expect from him. And I, like you, I'm gutted that he left Everton to go and play in the Champions League and to get in the business end in the end they were there. And, you know, many ways looking like, they still might, but looking like they can go and go all the way. But uh, yeah, City sometimes just have that ominous look about them, don't they? They're a juggernaut. And the, the shame was, actually, for 45 minutes, I thought PSG played really well. Yeah, they Gay, did. Gay among the best best performers. Just seemed like they won the midfield battle and really managed to stifle people like De Bruyne and, and Foden and Gundogan, people like that. Um, but the tie completely turned, and I, I guess that's what you get with City. If you don't put them to bed straight away, as, as everyone knows in the Premier League, then they, they come back and, and bite you on the on the behind. Um, so no, I, I don't want to get into, he's not that kind of player territory, but I, I, it's <laughs> the kind of challenge I yeah. expected from, from Idrissa Gay. I'll, I'll put it down to um, just being a little bit off the pace and um, stretching for something he shouldn't have stretched for in the end. Possibly. It happens against City, doesn't it, as we said. Anyway, before we crack on, just to let you know that you can subscribe to Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. 
and that's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. And this week on the site and on the app, we've got a cracking interview by Paddy with Jimmy Ball, the son of Everton legend, and, and that's in every sense of the word, Alan Ball, World Cup winner. Um, and for Blues was certain, vintage, one of the probably one of the best players they'd ever seen. Uh, strongly recommend you check that out. Uh, I've done a piece about Jordan Pickford, which we'll no doubt mention when we get to the uh, talking about the Arsenal game and why um, he has seemed to come through his um, dodgy, if you like, spell uh, earlier in the season and maybe starting to show signs of maturing. And there's a piece as well about I've written today about Anthony Gordon and what's gone wrong on his loan at Preston and why, what next for, for Anthony uh, and how he might find himself back on the up again after a, a pretty disappointing spell in the championship at Deepdale. So don't forget you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Well, Pad, we waited long enough for, for a win in, at Arsenal, shall we say, including Highbury in the Emirates. Never won at the Emirates. Uh, and it just seems to be that type of season. If, if we don't take anything else from it, we've got some, and in a way it's nothing to brag about, but historic moments, beating Liverpool at Anfield. And finally, finally beating Arsenal on home turf. Another one where we've had to wait 25 years. Uh, in the end, it wasn't a vintage performance, but it, you know, it, there were definitely signs of progress when, in every sense, but in terms of this season as well. And a very, very important victory, wasn't it? Yeah, you're, you're telling me I was four the last time Everton won. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Against Arsenal, they obviously had never won at the Emirates. And I've seen some really good performances, actually, like under Martinez in 13-14, pretty much played Arsenal off the park mm. that day. Uh, and in the end, needed Dale Lefeu to come up with a moment of magic to even salvage a draw. Yeah. Uh, there's another time when Stephen P and R scored that delicious lob that I could just watch time and time again. Oh, in the snow. Um, yeah, yeah. And then they went and scored a deflected goal at the end to make it two-two. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen the performances. I've just not had the results to to go with that. And maybe it's curious twist of fate and quirk of fate that the one time they do win there, um, they don't actually play particularly well. Um, certainly not a vintage Everton performance this season. But what you've got to say is that on the on the road away from home, they've found a formula really to to get results at these places. That That's victories, like you said, uh, at Anfield, uh, White Hart Lane, the new White Hart Lane, uh, the Emirates as well, and a draw at Old Trafford in the, in the Dying Embers as well. So Everton's away record is right up there with the very, very best. <laughs> yeah. And when they, the, be, the better the opposition, the more they seem to to, to revel in, in playing away from home. If the record at home had been anywhere near that, they'd be in a Champions League place right now, pure pure and simple. But um, as we all know, it, it hasn't um, hasn't gone that way. I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts here because it, it almost feels to me like fate and the quirks of fate balancing out. They probably did enough to beat Tottenham, only to shoot themselves in the foot with poor finishing and or defending, they created more than enough chances to beat Crystal Palace and ended up with two draws in those games. But here, didn't play particularly well and are almost handed a goal <laughs> after some really 
dreadful goalkeeping from Bernd Leno. So uh, it, it felt like maybe this was the wrong way around, but Everton have kind of got what they deserved in the end as an aggregated points total out of these games. I mean, insert footballing cliche here, isn't it? About like how luck tends to even self out over the season. And, you know, when, when you, when you maybe don't get what you deserve, you will do down the line. Um, but there's a bit of truth to it, isn't there? We did deserve probably better against Tottenham, bar those isolated instances of pretty, as we said last week, pretty rare defensive, basic defensive errors, I should say. Um, defended much, much better at Arsenal. Probably, as Carlo very honestly admitted afterwards, probably deserved a draw, uh, in fairness. But got the result. And, you know, it's gone against us. Again, Brighton probably created enough chances to win. Um yeah, we got the win. Look, how many times you mentioned a couple of occasions where we played really, really well at Arsenal and had nothing to show for it. Um, I must admit, I'd swap you uh, the win last Friday for that time when we should have won in Martinez's first season because I think it might it might well have changed the, many a thing if you if you want to just dream about what what might have been if we'd have beat them there then, but we didn't, uh, and I think it was massive, massive sort of. Uh, these are all psychological barriers, and I think as much as you can say in isolation, they're not that important. I think they are Everton going away to these teams. It's been embarrassing, I, I've found, especially Anfield, you know, and Tottenham, like you mentioned earlier, and, and now Arsenal. You know, there's three gone straight away, um, and hopefully it just chips away at the the feeling around these games that it's the the, the places where we can't go and, and get results, and it helps when you've got players like James Rodriguez who, who come into the team. You've got absolutely no. Uh, sort of respect isn't the right word, but no preconceived notions of going somewhere where you can't win. Um, and let's hope that we can uh, we can progress like that. But in terms of this season, I just think it's huge. And and as I said earlier as well, I think Jordan Jordan Pickford uh, made a huge save, obviously from Martinelli in the end. But throughout, uh, coming on the back of Robin Olsen playing, you know, pretty well as well in, in the last couple of games, I think Pickford's back in that team on merit and would, should be in the team as well against Villa. What have you made of his uh, performances since he's come back from the uh, the hip injury? I think he's been pretty good now, maybe under the radar in a sense, since certainly around the Merseyside derby. But he was a, a key player for Everton there, made a number of really important saves, including I think there was one from Henderson in the first half, a sprawling save from a, from a half volley, and another from Mohamed Salah, where he, he stood up really tall and, and made the block. It's a good shout, yeah. I forgot about that. So since then, I think his form's been much more positive. And let's be honest, he's not had the best season in the world. Um, by his own standards, he's slumped below where he would have expected to. And that's created a lot of focus on him from outside of Merseyside. Um, people looking at the England jersey, whether Nick Pope, Dean Henderson, these guys should replace him. Yeah. What you have to remember is, first thing, he's never let England down. He's always been the one that Southgate's turned to when he's needed to. And let's be honest, we've spoken about England before. I don't really care. But he's done well when there's been more pressure placed on his shoulders, particularly on the international stage. You've also had a situation where in this season there have been injuries, persistent injuries as well. He was, he's was he been in and out of the side on numerous occasions. There have been poor performances, particularly in the, in the first half of the season, I'd suggest. And he's also, I think he's also had to contend with all the spotlight that's come, the negative attention, I should say, 
that's come with that Virgil van Dijk tackle. And you mentioned this in your in your piece. Um, I don't think people realise, sometimes people don't realise how much of an impact that could potentially have on players when they're receiving. He received death threats. They had to organise additional security. Uh, all these kinds of things. I think they all eat away and etch away at a player a little bit. And I think it's taken him a while to get back on an even keel. But certainly, let, let's, let's hope it's not a false dawn, but certainly in the last couple of months, I think what we've seen from him is much more solidity, fewer errors, a calmer demeanour. And what I really liked in the game against Arsenal was that he didn't really have much to do with any note until probably the 90th minute when Martinelli had that shot on goal, a shot that he probably wouldn't have seen coming because it was an error from, from Seamus Coleman. But he's alert. And not only does he get a hand to it, but he knocks it away from danger as well. I think that's the important thing with a goalkeeper. It's all about, you can have all the ability in the world, but the concentration level has to be there. And sometimes where that that's maybe he's where he's maybe fallen down. So it appeared to me to be a big step in the right direction. It needs to continue. Um, and he's got a new haircut as well. So maybe it's new haircut, new Jordan Pickford. Yeah, it just seems to make him. <laughs> it just seems to make him look a little bit <laughs> very superficial. But he looks more grown up, doesn't he? With Does. his uh, with his <laughs> Patrick Bateman slip slick back. Um, sometimes you can probably read too much into trying to be an armchair psychologist when it comes to players. And you know, I don't know the ins and outs of his um, of his mental approach. And I know you know, using psychologists and things like that is sports psychologists is very very widespread. But whatever he has or hasn't done. It has worked recently. Uh, he's toned down. The th- Maybe to a degree, he has benefited from not having crowds there in some away games. Um, even that's a bit of a guess because you you look at the way he was uh, that you know, notoriously against Newcastle at time. He, he sort of you know notably lost his head when the the fans at St James's Park were giving him some grief and for being a Sunderland player, and he got dragged into that. Um, didn't have his best game. He can be volatile, but I've seen a lot less of that. So let's hope that that's a let's hope that's a consistent trend. That's all temperament, isn't it? I, th- I think often, sometimes you have a debate about players, and it's are they good enough in terms of their raw abilities as a, as a footballer? I don't I don't think there's much issue with Jordan Pickford there. If you you stick everything together, he's got all the elements you need to be a good goalkeeper. I'd argue um, the stuff you mention, it's all character and concentration and maybe psyching himself up a bit too much, a la, let's say, Joe Hart used to. Um, and that Newcastle game sticks long in the memory for me. Um, so maybe maybe crowds, like you've suggested, maybe crowds not being there has helped. I think it's helped to have the consistency of Robin Olsen underneath him as a number two, a guy that can come in. And what we saw after that first Merseyside derby was that Ancelotti would chop and change. And when Pickford needed a break... Olsen had just come in and give him that breather and shoulder the responsibility. I think that's helped. Um, he's had Alan Kelly there, the goalkeeping coach, who's, who's obviously worked extensively with him. And I also think it's it's helped that even when Olsen was performing well and there was talk about him superseding Pickford as the number one, both Ancelotti and Gareth Southgate have always stuck to their guns with him. They've always effectively said he's he's our number one. And um, until he does something to to lose that jersey, that's the way it's going to stay. So having the faith of people like that, particularly Ancelotti, 
I think matters a great deal. For me, he's always the one. He's so sure in his own ability, Pickford, when he steps up across the white line, that I don't really worry about him sometimes on the big stage. It's maybe where he's got like a chirpy Newcastle fan behind him, or um, he's getting chants about being a Mackham, as 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 the as the Newcastle fans did. Would would uh, would say uh, that kind of stuff. So let let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. But I think I think we're moving in the right direction with him, or we have done recently. And and I think when he performs like this, you can see why Ancelotti favours him over Olsen because he offers more with his distribution, um, and he's got that bit of top level that maybe Olsen can't get to. Indeed, let's hope that he brings that form. If if indeed he's selected, which I see the reason why he wouldn't be. To Goodison on Saturday night under the lights, eight o'clock, terrible time, <laughs> against Aston Villa. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Incredibly, as we mentioned or alluded to in, in the intro, the first game against Villa, we've got two to fit in uh, and it's May. It just shows you what a bonkers season this has been. We still don't know when the second one is at the time of going, uh, at the time of recording this podcast on Thursday mid-afternoon. Um, again, weird, but Villa are a decent side, recovered from uh, a bit of a slump, obviously started the season pretty well. We were chatting off air, weren't we, beforehand with uh, Ollie, the producer, about they've got a lot of good young players at every level. Quite evenly matched, I think. Yeah, Everton are above them in the table and, and more wins and, and obviously perhaps have got higher uh, ambitions for where they want to finish this season. But it isn't going to be an easy game, is it, Pad? Um, they've, like we said, Ollie Watkins... He's a good player. They've got some good attacking options. They could cause us some problems on Saturday night. I thought they recruited really well over the summer. And that's not just bringing in Ollie Watkins, by the way, but Matty Cash at right back for starters. I like them at centre-back with Esri Concer and Tyrone Mings. Um, To my mind, one of the better partnerships in the middle of the table. And then you've just got that stardust, haven't you, of, of Jack Grealish, who, for, for my money, is one of the best players in the league. I just love watching Grealish play. Um, thankfully, it, it looks like he's not going to be fit for this one, um, so we don't get to see him play against Everton. Um, but that's not a bad thing, given how good he is. I, I think he really is exceptional now and just makes them tick. 
So the way I look at Villa, and, and certainly in the early part of the season, I thought they were legitimately good when Grealish was on fire. I, I was slightly worried about them. We kind of pipping Everton to the post for a European place at one point. They still might, but their hopes have kind of dwindled as Grealish has, has been out of the team through injury. Um, still, still got to be wary of them. Still, I look at the midfield, for example, John McGinn, I think is a, is a, a cracking little player in terms of the runs he makes and the, the goals he can score and the energy he provides. Um, they're going to be dangerous with Watkins up front. I, I just think he's a pain to, to face Ollie Watkins because he'll, as a legacy of being at Brentford, he'll just pressure all day and he'll force mistakes and he'll hustle and hurry and he'll be picking up little pockets of space himself uh, and finishes well on the on the hole. So he's one to watch out for. Um, El Ghazi has had a good season in front of goal, uh, kicked on quite a lot. So, so they're a good side. I remember last season... Played them fairly late at Goodison, fairly late in the season towards the end when there was no crowd, and Everton were very unlucky. Uh, Everton were very lucky. Villa were very unlucky that day yeah, to yeah. only escape with a point. Yeah. Um, they had loads of chances. El Ghazi missed a sitter, and I remember looking at the respective midfields that day, and I think Everton's was Davis and Gomez in a four-four-two, and they had uh, Douglas Luis, John McGinn. Grealish was playing, El Ghazi was playing. And I'm thinking to myself, Villa are like 15th in the table here. How can we have a better <laughs> midfield than Everton? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they did. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, Everton addressed some of these issues in the summer. But I guess that was a precursor to what they did and they've invested and they've done, they've done well. So it's a tough game. Uh, kind of ludicrous that the first match between the two sides is is May. But that's where we are and this is no ordinary season. Um but Everton simply have to win. And I think this goes back to the chat we had about Arsenal. It's all well and good talking about identity. And I know I bang on about that stuff until I'm blue in the face. Um, it's all well and good talking about that. But right now, what Everton need more than anything else, more than a good performance, is three points. Because they're still uh, in the race for Europe. Three points can still be really important to, to push them on. And hope, hopefully capitalise on a few other results. Um, so yeah, three points is all all that matters, and uh, hopefully the same happens again on on Saturday evening. Absolutely, one player who uh, obviously, as you say, Jack Grealish, top top player, and you know, be glad if he's not able to play. Really, although it'd be a shame. As much you can, let's say, I'd rather watch him shining for England in the summer than I would on uh, on Saturday evening. Uh, I think it's touching on whether he'll be involved or not. One player again who might be involved in midfield uh, is Ross Barkley. Obviously, formerly of of this parish, um, sometimes I, I have to remind myself how exciting a prospect he was when he came through. Uh, that that debut against was it QPR or Blackburn um, at Goodison Park? QPR, yeah. one of the most exciting sort of breakthroughs I've seen uh, for a player at Everton. Absolutely tremendous. So it's fair to say it's not really. His career hasn't lived up to what we thought it would be so far, has it? Uh, in many ways, I hope he might have got his um, not got his act together, but I hope he might have found a, a consistent run of form, and, and and Villa would be somewhere where he could flourish. But it hasn't worked out like that, has it? It seemed like he would have first. Yeah, I remember watching him early doors and thinking, Jesus, he's really added something to Villa here. And he was playing in tandem with Grealish. Grealish would be on the left, and Barkley be on the left of the midfield three. And they just linked so well. 
And all of a sudden we were back into the territory that we know really well as Evertonians, where we're talking about, is this the moment where Ross Barkley finally clicks and it all comes good for him and he gets back in the England side and, and so on and so forth. We all know he's got that potential. We all know that the, the elements in his game are mostly there. Um, but it's not it, it's not continued like that. I think he's suffered for Grealish being out of the side. I think he's suffered through injuries and a loss of form as well. And in many ways, I don't know if you agree with this, but it just feels as though it, this, his season so far with Villa has almost been, in microcosm, the story of his career as a whole. Yeah. It's... Full of potential at the start. And it just wanes slightly and drifts. And you, you think, you're just left thinking he could be so much more. Um, just, I mean, you, you look at him and, I mean, in the early days, he used to run forward and create goals, score goals. You, you talk about that game against QPR. Everton lost that game, but he was a shining light. A year later, I think they played Norwich City in Roberto Martinez's first league game. Yeah, 2-2. Two, two. He did score that day. On he his did. left foot from about 25 yards, just absolutely blammed it into the top corner. <laughs> um, 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 ran the game, yeah. ran the game. And the goal against Newcastle away, I've never seen an Everton player score an individual goal like that. <clears throat> just so many good moments. Just after he'd let his mum cut his hair. <laughs> that was when he looked like Lord Lucan. Um, just had the kind of shaved, shaved head. I, th- I don't know what he was doing there. He, he let his mum cut it. I asked him after the game, and he said, "Yeah, yeah." Decided I wanted it a short one. I did it Swansea away. Do you remember? Because yeah, yeah. Everton two-one away at Swansea that year. I think it was. Seamus scored that great goal, and when Seamus scored the goal because he he belted his in, it was a fantastic finish. He had this really angry celebration, booted the hoardings behind the goal, and was really wound up for some reason. But Ross obviously scored, I think he scored a free kick and uh, he had his completely shaved hair. A little bit like me during lockdown. Um, he had his completely shaved hair and yeah, it just looked, looked bizarre. But you remember those moments and think, well, God, this was a, a top class prospect. He could have made his debut for Everton at 15 or 16, were it not for the triple leg break he suffered in, in the tackle with Andre Wisdom for England. And it's just not where we are now, 10 so years later, he's just not fulfilled that potential. Now, the obvious caveat is he's playing Everton on Saturday and I'm loath to get too critical of him because we all know what happens with Everton. He is still good enough to, to win games and influence games. Um, I just I don't think he's doing it enough still. I don't think he's doing it enough. And I think this, this summer is going to be really interesting because obviously they're going to pay the money that it takes to get him away from Chelsea. If not, where does he go? He doesn't look like he's overly succeeded at Villa. Where'd you drop after that? Did you go to Newcastle? West Ham? Would David Moyes take him at West Ham? I don't know. I don't think there's a logical move necessarily here. Um, And that's probably a little bit of a worry for Ross Barkley and probably why he needs a good end to the season. Yeah. um, I couldn't put it better myself. He does. He needs to finish strong because he needs to... uh, His talent should demand that he should be, you know, having a career, a consistent career in in the... Premier League. Um, Why hasn't it, by the way, in, in your opinion? I mean, obviously you you were there to chronicle it as, as I was in, in the main. Is it the decision-making? Is it, I don't know, personality, football and ability, even technical flaws in his game? Why, why do you think he's not been able to reach the heights that 
I think some of the Everton Academy expected of him. I think it's decision making um, in the final third. I think that was a problem at, in his last season at Everton, uh, before obviously the injury and the rehab, and then when he was going to Chelsea. I mean, when he was playing regularly and, and you know was settled at Everton. Uh, and from what I've seen, it still remains a problem. It's just his in-game, uh, not management, but his in-game instinctive thinking on what, when's when's the right time to release the ball. I think technically it's all there, but you need both. Uh, and I'm not sure how you coach that. Um, people have probably tried. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what maybe what, what role suits him best. Maybe you try and change around his role to play to his strengths mentally and, and uh, physically. I know he played a few different roles for Everton, but uh, he was fantastic as that pivot in the between a sort of uh, you, you Gareth Barry and James McCarthy uh, getting the ball upfield, but then and, and two footed and so technically gifted and as you said earlier could blam a shot uh, on goal should 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 have shot more often in many ways, but just was very frustrating sometimes with that final ball. And I don't think that's changed yet. Do you remember the um? Do you remember Kuman? In Koeman's first season, Everton ended the season really, really well. I mean, they finished seventh, but in the second half of the season, they were just absolutely swatting teams aside, particularly at Goodison. Lukaku scoring goals, Barkley looking the business, Tom Davis coming through and really impressing after breaking onto the scene. Do you remember Koeman played him in that role just to the right of the attack? And effectively, it wasn't go and be our number 10 or go and be our playmaker, but it was find areas of space where you can just influence the game enough on a, a number of occasions here and, and see how it goes. And that was the most consistent, arguably, that I've seen Ross Barkley, save for 13-14. And it really looked like he was going to pick up again. Obviously, <laughs> he picks up, picks up an injury. There's all that mess over him not going to Chelsea and then going to Chelsea six months later. And it just feels like He's one of our own, or he was one of our own. But I don't think you'll find many people that will speak positively to you in the among the Everton fan base about Ross Barkley now. I remember a few weeks ago, Carlo Ancelotti was asked about the academy. And um, I think it was a question about Lewis Warrington, who's in the under-23s and 18s, a central midfielder. And it was, can you make more? Can, can people like Lewis Warrington be the next Ross Barkley? And Carlo said in this conference... I want more Ross Barclays. And he didn't mean I want Ross Barkley. He meant I want more academy graduates. He was a byword for academy graduates. I tweeted that quote out. And then underneath the comments were just, it was just insults for, for Ross Barkley from, from Everton fans. I think that tells you everything you need to know. I think he's, it, it feels as though he cut his ties with that controversial and acrimonious departure. It looked like he'd done Everton out of a pretty substantial sum of money. And you almost wonder locally whether he's able to recover from them, uh, which is a shame because I know within the academy setup he was held in high regard. He was popular. He was he was liked and admired by the coaches. So it, it, it it's quite a change of circumstances, and I almost I, I feel a little bit sad about it again. I do, yeah, just because of, of what we said about that sheer potential when he broke through, and the fact that you know he is an Evertonian. Would you have him back at Everton? No, I don't. I don't really think he's. Uh... Is what we need, in truth. We do possibly need another midfielder, but um, no, I don't think I would. I think, uh, you know, the sort of, well, for starters, you know, the sort of like the wages he might need, because uh, he'd be on a pretty penny at Chelsea. 
don't think he's no it's a good question though um would have him back nah i'm not averse to everton signing that kind of midfielder yeah exactly definitely not he offers more of a goal threat than Ducore, doesn't he Ducore actually is a, is a miss in, in himself because he at least contributes some goals from midfield, but you're not going to get anything from Alan, Gomez, Tom Davis, Fabian Delph. And I think that's an issue. I think you need more goals from that, that part of the pitch. And I also think there needs to be a little bit more drive there as well, particularly without Ducore. I'd like to see a midfielder break from midfield and end up on the edge of the box mm. and be confident in that midfielder when he goes to shoot. At the moment... Andre Gomez goes to pull the trigger and I'm thinking to myself, no, don't shoot. Just give it to Hammers or give it to Sigurdsson. Give it to Luca Dean to cross. Just whatever you do, don't shoot because you're not going to score. Uh, and again, I've probably set myself up for an Andre Gomez worldie at the weekend. Fingers fingers crossed. But um, I, I think they could do with something there. A bit more guile on the ball. A little bit more drive, particularly in an attacking sense. Yeah, I think goals. Goals and assists. Look at Andre Gomez. You mentioned the perfect candidate for Andre, you know, in terms of what we haven't got when you mention Andre Gomez. I wouldn't be averse to, I don't know who, who'd buy him or where he'd go, but I wouldn't be averse to switching him out for someone else, to be to be frank. But um, They've got a lot of samey midfielders, it seems to me. A lot of guys that will yeah. kind of do the leg work and will look to the water carriers, the guys that'll play the five, ten yard pass, and that's great. But that just, as we've said so many times, that just creates a huge burden and over reliance on, on James Rodriguez. So, yeah, I think they need a player that can do that, a player that can link, mm. maybe in the way that Barkley can at his best. But I'd be hard pushed unless it was a really good financial deal to imagine a situation in which a player that doesn't always start for Aston Villa should be signing for Everton. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
certainly had goals from midfield back in 2008 and 2009 when our vintage game we're going to touch on just now uh, was played. To, to, like, yeah, that season was a very good one. If you remember, David Moyes' Everton were getting close towards really hitting their stride. Europe was a regular qualification for Europe in the top five. Uh, happened quite frequently, I think, uh, after Moyes had got through his initial sticky period. And let's just relive the highlights of that game at Villa Park. 3-3. From the 08-09 season. Joe trying to wrestle his way through. Baines once more. And it's a tap-in for Fellaini. And Everton hit the front inside 19 minutes of Villa Park. Oh! And somehow it is turned in in the end. And Tim Cahill has got it. Everton double the lead. And Aston Villa do not know what has hit them. Petrov. Bit of urgency now, Young, Luke Young, to Milner. Dangerous cross, can they make something of it? Agbonla Hockeroo! Suddenly there's a lifeline for Aston Villa, and a route back into this match. Pinar trying to wrestle shooting space, oh, that is magnificent! Well, Everton have reasserted themselves in some style there. Fancy his chances this time, indeed he does! Oh, what a response from Aston Villa! James Milner with a firecracker of a free kick! And Carew and Petrov looking to get in there. And this time Howard Webb does award the penalty. Well, there's been many a shout. Howard Webb found that one convincing enough, but David Moyes certainly didn't feel it was. scores and Aston Villa have shown remarkable strength of spirit in this match twice two goals down now they are level for the first time well, there you go that was the, the highlights of and plenty of highlights of a really dramatic draw at Villa Park back in 0809 season um <laughs> very uh, very evocative for for Blues that in terms of that that Moyes team and then just in general, I miss away grounds and somewhere. That Villa Park's a classic, absolutely classic stadium, isn't it? And to have a game like that there, Pad, you you must remember the the sort of... We, we were talking about not having goals midfield, but you know, look at that. Fellaini and Cahill. I know Cahill played further forward back then, but and then Pinar. Not often he did that, was it? But when he did, it was special. He had a habit of doing that at Villa Park for some reason. I remember another one in that lovely white strip they had under Martinez. And he, he, he curled one into the same end, I think, from a very similar spot. So he, he had a habit of doing it at Aston Villa, but really not much apart from that. Um, you just go through that side, though, and it's packed full of Moise era stalwarts, isn't it? A, funny to say it looking at a 3-3 draw, but in the main, a very solid back line and goalkeeper. Um, Kale, Pienaar, Fellaini, Osman providing... Goals and guile from midfield. Um, funny Joe leading the line on this occasion with Luke <laughs> off the bench. Brazilian um, Joe is David Moyes just called Brazilian Joe, yeah. As if there was any other Joe <laughs> we could uh, he could be referring to. Yeah. Um, but no, I just I mean obviously we look back fondly on that team and those years because that was when Everton, at the very least, was competing for European spots and achieving Europe regularly. I think the 08-09 team is one of Moyes' better sides. 
um, and they weren't missing much. Maybe just a 20-goal-a-season man up front or a fully fit Louis Sahar even to just get them over the line in a few few more games. Um, but it was always a battle with Villa. It feels like we've gone back to those <laughs> those days now. It was always a battle with Villa. I, I mean, there were loads of these matches, as, as we were saying earlier, off air. Kind of three twos, three threes. Two twos, yeah. yeah. Two twos. Ashley Young, I remember winning one right at the end at Goodison Park, which was just a real kick in the stomach after Lescott had scored a couple. Um, and there was always a lot of conversation who's best primed, Everton or Villa, to, to get into the top four, get into the top five. Um, and it was an arm wrestle. We're, we're a lot closer now than we were. Obviously, they've been down and come back up, but are on the right track again. Um, and maybe Everton are looking to pick up a little bit as well. Um, but no, it's good to look back at those highlights. And of course, you've got another Everton favourite there in Gareth Barry scoring a penalty for Villa to uh, to equalise. So it's full of full of memories, and I'd say positive memories on the whole of of those Everton players. Absolutely is, and, and some cracking players there were as well. Now, um, obviously, back in the Midlands or against the Midlands side. Disappointing end to the under-18 FA Cup campaign this season. Obviously, the team we'd done really well, beating some massive sides, and came unstuck, perhaps surprisingly, into West Brom, but maybe not, given the challenge of facing in terms of personnel. Pat, tell us a bit more about the uh, the defeat this week. Yeah, so, as, as you mentioned there, Everton under-18s lost 2-1 away at West Brom in the FA Youth Cup quarterfinals. A disappointment in one regard because they they looked like they could have a real strong push for, to win the competition for the first time since I think it was 1998 and the team that had Francis Jeffers, Leon Osman and and Michael Ball, Richard Dunn among others uh, beat Chelsea in the round before, beat Manchester City the round before that and they were considered the two favourites. They're the powerhouses at, at this level, they routinely share the competition they've they passed it back and forth now for the probably the past decade mm-hmm. um so the idea was with, with those two out teams like everton liverpool aston villa were, were primed to have a real good go west brom i, I think that there'll be disappointment but also west brom were older they, they had a lot of second year academy scholars so that's 17 and 18 year olds as opposed to everton's who were mainly 16 and 17 year olds and i think at that level you can see the extra physicality, and sometimes that can pay. Um, but also Everton were missing key players. They were missing Tyler and Yango, who, as we know, has been on the first-team bench. He was um, he's uh, injured out for the remainder of the season following surgery. Isaac Price, the uh, youngster that's been on the bench for the first team in recent weeks and months, he, his season's over. Seemingly, he's picked up, a, I think it's a hip injury, and he's going to be out. Um, and then a few others couldn't make it as well. So I, I would say they were missing three or four of the best players and that's not an excuse. The game could have gone Everton's way anyway. Um, but they did bow out in the in the quarterfinals. What I would say is that I see quite a lot of promise here. I see more promise than I've seen for a good while. And I see players being promoted through the ranks earlier. So you've got, uh, there was a lad, Jensen Metcalf, who doesn't always even play for the under-18s, but he was starting in central midfield for the under-23s at the weekend. He's 16 and a very, very young academy scholar. I mean, very rare to see players doing that at the age of 16. He's he's a good good player, a tidy footballer. 
Um, and they've got others as well. I was particularly impressed with Reese Welsh, the, the centre-back, who was on the bench for Everton a few times uh, for the first team over the last couple of months. Um, already way over six foot. Very elegant, composed on the ball, an England youth international. Another one that they got from Huddersfield, the Huddersfield, West Yorkshire area. Um, not Huddersfield town as such, but from the Huddersfield area. When Leeds dropped off the pace, Everton were able to bizarrely move into that area and hoover up a lot of the best talent. Uh, and Welsh is one of those, very highly regarded, has trained with the first team, as I've reported, has been on the bench for the first team, as we've reported um, before. And um, I think there's a lot of talent in that group when you consider Thierry Smalls there, Tyler and Yango didn't play. Um, Lewis Dobbin has been out injured, but he's another England youth international who they hold in high regard if he can keep himself fit. Um, and there are a couple of promising goalkeepers as well. So I'd, I'd keep an eye out for that team and I'd keep an eye out for the development because I think quite a lot of them have, have got decent prospects. It's as good a group as they've had for a while and they've been saying that now in private for a good while that they, they, they feel like they've got a couple of good crops coming through. Um, wasn't enough on this occasion, but the, the, the same team can more or less go again next year with a bit more experience and you've got to hope maybe they have a real tilt at winning. Um Looks like Aston Villa, Everton's opponents on Saturday in the Premier League, will, will, will probably go on to win that. They're very, very good at the, this level now. Um, so it looks like Aston Villa to tie in again. Aston Villa will win it. But um, but no, fair play to the lads for, for beating some top teams and, and making a fist of it. Hopefully they can go even further next time around. Absolutely. And let's hope as well that, you know, aside from the, the wise and wherefores of winning silverware at that level, let's hope that they can produce players who are pushing to get into the fringe of the first team. That's it. In, in the main, we, we can talk all day about Premier League two title wins and getting into the latter stages of the FA Youth Cup. It's it's great. It's great for those lads and it, it means memories for them and it's recognition for the club. Uh, all helps with recruiting players. But at the end of the day, the main thing is that a couple or more come through into the Everton first team and the ones that don't, as many of them as possible, are sold on for, for, for money so that the academy is sustainable and profitable and all those kinds of things. I get the impression from conversations I've had and from the football I've seen at those levels, the appointments that have been made, the way people are progressing through the club, that they're better now, in a better place now with all of this than they were three, four years ago. And that, that has to be a positive. And a lot of that is, is Marcel Brand's influence finally bearing fruit. So, yeah, defeat, but I'd, I'd, I'd be positive. I'd be, be glass half glass half full kind of in, in all of this. Absolutely. Well, let's hope that we are glass half full after playing Villa on Saturday evening. We'll be back to talk all about that game and more next week. Don't forget to check out the app between now and then for the thoughts on that game and uh, some really good, good, exciting pieces coming through too from a variety of different, uh, different topics. Um, both here and abroad. If you're interested in your French football, keep your eyes peeled for a piece that Paddy's working on, which promises to be really interesting as well. Thank you very much for listening and see you again next week.
The Athletic.